don't you tell me that, bro? Yeah. Turn up, man. My headphones. Tales from a Gemini. This, this is my kind of, man. My buddy, Wyatt, my producer, Wyatt, knows me. Oh. I can see myself getting out of the shower like, oh, it's going to be a good night tonight. Man, I love music like this. It makes me feel so good. It's so euphoric. And I never use the word euphoric. See, I don't know use words like euphoric. I'm a simple man. I use words like free and fuck and food. But this song makes me feel euphoric. Hey, guy on the bicycle. Wait for the drop. Wait for the drop. Wait for the drop. Hey, sweetie. Hey, anybody have any eggs? <laughs> Let me turn it down, man. I'm, that might be my a permanent song. I love that song. All right, Tales from the Gemini's BT. So excited, man. Um, I got my buddy Simon Patterson's gonna be on here in about three minutes. I know that guy's gonna be on time because he, he lives in a van. So <laughs> you live in you live in a van. <laughs> You're gonna be on time. What else are you gonna be doing? You know what I mean? I mean, what else are you going to be doing? And uh, so it's going to be great. I can't wait for this, man, as always. That, that's a great intro music. You know me now, Wyatt. You know what kind of music I like. I don't care what anybody says. EDM is the greatest music in the world right now, for me. Because it, it's euphoric. It makes you feel good. It doesn't make you feel like, you know, uh, I'm not old, but I'm older than you. And you guys always tease me about being old. So it makes me feel like I can hang with you guys. But that little jump I was just doing, my knees are going, hey, man, what are you doing? I mean, but seriously, my knees like are going, don't, don't do that again. But that's my music, man, and I love it. I really do. I don't know what EDM is. Electronica music? What do you listen to? What do you listen to? What do you listen? What music do you listen to, Wyatt? No, no don't be shy. What, what music do you listen to? Like an artist or type? What type of music do you listen to? Don't get smart. I really don't listen to anything. You don't? No. You don't I listen, listen to like, I'll listen to like lo-fi or Mozart when I'm working. Mozart? Are you serious? See, that's why you, that's why he's where he's at and I'm where I'm at. Seriously, guy with the backpack. That's where, that's where, that's why you're where you're at, man. I don't listen to much music at all. Wow, really? Mm -mm. We'll get into that later. It's about a minute before Simon comes in. I mean, I, I didn't know that. See, I'm learning new stuff about you all the time. Isn't it great how we learn about each other? Yeah, it's great. It, it really is, man. I love it. I mean, it from the bottom of my heart, I really do. You got everything? Are we recording? Yes, we're good to go. Okay, I can't wait. My buddy, here, here we go. Uh, my buddy Simon Patterson, he writes, he's a MotoGP journalist, and um, I met him in a paddock, and we always known each other, and then like, this year, I just, I felt like we connected on a different level, I was, from, from reading his tweets, and every, he's always been cool, everybody in MotoGP paddock has always been cool to me, so um, that's why I'm so excited about it, and this guy is not afraid to go there, man, with the tough questions and everything, so I'm looking forward to it, uh, to talking to him. Uh, I'm going to hit him up right now and say, we are ready. We are ready for you. And you know it's my favorite part when it comes in. Oh, yeah. Is it going to show? Yeah. You know it's my favorite part. Oh, man. Please come on because I want to see you, man. I want to see you, bro. I want to see you. That sounds so weird. And I want to see you. There it is. Okay, there's me. There's me. Look at me. Look, look at me. I'm a handsome devil. That's me. And uh, come on, you ready for Simon? Come on, Simon. Come on, buddy. There he is right there. There he is. Is he coming up? There we go. Is he joining? God, uh, this, this never gets old. It's never, it's, I, Simon! Hey, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm, I know you're in a van, so are, are you comfortable? Are you, are you being held hostage? I'm, <laughs> I promise you I'm completely comfortable. 
<laughs> you know, you're the only guy I know just, who could be in a van and and like you don't scare small children. You know what I mean? Like like you're <laughs> yeah. seriously. You're just that's high praise. Guy. That's high praise. <laughs> I mean, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I go, he's in a van, but for some reason, I wouldn't be like, you need to watch that guy. I go, ah, he's harmless. You know what I mean? It's great. Man, how did the I've van? Got, I've go at least two friends that call up my serial killer van. <laughs> Uh, it's a black van with tinted windows. It's not a great look, I admit. <laughs> if you were, if you, if you were in the United States, they go, that, that guy is working for the FBI, or he's watching. He's with the feds. But now that you're in Europe, I don't know how they think in Europe. Right, Interpol, maybe. I don't know how it goes in Europe. Yeah, uh, we just don't think about it. Really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, different, different cultures, vibe. different cultures. It's a whole different vibe over there. But you know what? You could be like a, a Jason Bourne type because we don't know you like that. I mean, seriously, when I first met you at the MotoGP paddock, I was like, this guy's the nicest guy ever. You're in a van, though, and now you could be, like, taking people out, like, and we wouldn't even know about it. Like, you could be, It like, would be the perfect cover, right? That'd be the greatest cover. Like, you're covering MotoGP, but at night, you and you have a ghost writer who does all the, you know, the writing for MotoGP, and you're out and, and just fighting crime, like... <clears throat> Let me tell you my story that, that just fits this theory completely. I was stopped the other day in a, in a highway services in France, uh -huh. doing some writing, sitting in the driver's seat of the van, laptop on my knee, writing away. All of a sudden, this cop car drives past like real slow, and I can tell that they're checking me out. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. I keep writing. A few minutes later, he comes back with another car. They pull in each side of the car. There's four guys hop out of each car. They've got like rifles, they've got pistols, which is pretty unusual in Europe. They wow. surround the van. The guy comes over to the window. He's checked, he's realized that there's UK license plates on the van. So I roll down the window, we start speaking in English. He does the, who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? I start explaining to him. I say, you know, I'm MotoGP journalist. And his, his friend who's standing behind him with a rifle goes, ah, MotoGP, I'm a huge Jorge Lorenzo fan. And I'm like, well, I know Jorge really well. And they're like, ah, go, go, go. Don't worry about us. And they got the cars and drove off again. How great is that? MotoGP got you out of being probably held, held in a jail in France, probably without bail or anything. I still have no idea what I did wrong, but, you know, I owe Jorge a beer, so we're all good. Sure you say you don't know what you did wrong. Come on, Simon. That, that's your side of the story. They know what you, If they had rifles in France, and they don't even do that in France, you did something right? wrong. Yeah, you did something. Yeah, wrong. probably. Yeah, but, you probably skipped oh, well. the skipped out on a meal or something. Come on, so don't give me that. You're a nice guy. Look, that's no. why they had rifles. I, I wish that was the case, but I had been in France about two hours. Hmm. And where were you coming? From? I hadn't been in France uh, long enough to do anything wrong. Uh, from Italy, I'd come through, come through the Alps from Turin direction, coming from Misano, heading to where did we go? Barcelona. Next okay. race. Well, just get your story straight, because I've been stopped plenty of time. That's what <laughs> cops do. I go, I need some backup. Need some back. Yeah, got, ba got a van. Got a, got a van. He doesn't look. He doesn't look. Uh, look looks uh, suspicious. That's what I would do. But I'm glad you're uh, good now. Yeah, I got away with it. Real good. Jorge Lorenzo saved me. All right. <laughs> Isn't he the great? You know what? I'm glad I was reading up on you, trying to get some. I'm. Tr I was trying to get some background on you, and man, it was so difficult. I like that's why I say you could really be Jason Bourne, dude, because there's no background <laughs> on you. I mean, you're like an anomaly. Like you're like, who is this guy? We don't know, but he writes. 
But I, I will say this about you. What I love <laughs> is that, man, you grew up, and this is probably why I honest, I never know how I'm going to start these. That's why I call it Tales from a Gemini, because I'm a Gemini, and I'll be talking to you, and all of a sudden, I'll change the subject. But that's just me. It's how my <laughs> brain works, you know? And we've yeah. always gotten along. But what really drove it home this year, like, I mean, I get along with everybody in the GB Paddock, and I've always, you know, respected you, love what you write. And and two things, I love that you go there in your in your questions and in your articles. I mean, you go there to where you go, wow, <laughs> and you don't pull punches, and you go there. And here's what I really respected about you this year was during the all what was going on over here with the Black Lives Matter and the and you know and then Lewis stood up and you know I was reading your tweets and I and I just loved how you kind of came to the defense. Hey, like, hey, we can do better, and you know people were giving you crap, and I just. I love the stance you took and that because I always say and I never mean because, you know, there's a little bit of difference between, you know, the United States and Europe and yeah. things are a little bit different. And I just love the stance you took because I go, you know what? You don't have to really go there. I mean, you know what? I think you're Irish. Yeah, right? but we do. Yeah, I'm Irish, but okay. we do because, you know, we we work. I work in the most undiverse place on Earth. Right. You know, there's two and a half thousand of us in the MotoGP paddock. There's one black guy, Francis. I think you've already had him on. Yes, yes, yes. One guy, one guy. We've never had a black racer. Right. We I think we've had like seven thousand racers in the history of Grand Prix racing, going back seventy-two years. We've never had a black racer. We've barely had a female racer. We've barely had a racer from you know places like India, China. So my theory, and it's like, obviously. I care about diversity, but it's also a little bit selfish because like, I love watching Mark Marquez do crazy things in a motorbike. Yes. But maybe there's 10 other Mark Marquezes out there that have never been interested in MotoGP because the paddock isn't diverse enough to welcome them in. So let's make sure that we've got all the best people in the world, regardless of gender or sexual orientation or color, whatever. Let's let's just have the best. That's beautiful. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart because you know what? You say that and I agree wholeheartedly but at the same time, it, it 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 should be it should be that way, but it's not. Of course it should. And and the thing and, and like I said, that's why I love that you came to the defense because the United States, you know, like I wanted to have. And here's this is the where what I love what you did is that you called out a certain racer who works for a certain um um uh, 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 TV. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah. And he's from. The I United know who you're talking about. Yeah. And you call and you you called him racist, and I thought it was funny. Now I would love to have the guy on because personally, I think when when it comes to race, I think the only way to have a civil conversation is like this one on one, there's no one screaming at each other, and you listen, yeah. and you go back and forth. There's no crowd going, ooh, and this and that, and, and they're throwing, you know what I mean? Not like it was a yeah. debate last night, that shit show last exactly. night. Exactly. That's not the way to have a sensible conversation, <laughs> yeah. is it? Exactly. And I've only seen the social media highlights, but like, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but I mean, but I love how you called him out, and I'm and I'm laughing because. I don't even go there, but I want, I would love to have him on and get his take on that. You know what I mean? But I just don't think he's going to yeah. do that. But I would love to say, okay, hey, man, you know, why would you think this way or or your response to this? You know, and you're not the only one to do that, but you one of the few people that did that. <laughs> I'm the stupidest. <laughs> I did that on Twitter. And I was like, oh, my God. And I, and I honestly, I respected you even more after that i mean what you do because you stand up for the human right and it's like like we're not putting anybody down we just want to go hey man this could be all inclusive this could be better if everyone was involved exactly exactly it's like i keep getting told that 
oh, there shouldn't be politics in motorbike racing. There shouldn't be politics in sport. And it's like, guys, it's not politics. Saying, let's be nice to everyone is not political. How has it become political? Yes. Yes. You know? I, I, thank it, you. It's, just, it's simple. It's the, you, it's the human condition. It's human. Exactly. You know, exactly. And, but like I said, that, and okay, now where did that come from? I mean, what made you stand up? Because, and I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't because that takes a lot. When I interviewed Francis, man, it, the weirdest thing was I got really emotional because I said, I don't know if I could kneel. If y'all saw you kneeling, I don't know if I could do it. And I, I'm so full of sometimes anger and, and uh, when I see it on TV and what they did to Colin Kaepernick, how they ruined his career and how all he did was call out, you know, the police brutality. It wasn't about the flag and everybody knew that. Of but course they, it wasn't. But they focused on the flag. And yeah. I told him, I said, I don't know if I could do that. And that just really made me realize what kind of a pussy I am. And then for you to stand up and what you did, I thought that was beautiful, man. When you didn't have to do Thank that. Thank you, man. Yeah, I did. Because I think we all should, you know. I, I, I get that it's easier for some people. And it, let's be honest, it's probably pretty easy for me to do it as a white male. It's easier than it is for a lot of people. But the only way, you know, we're not going to change opinions by by having the people who are already being oppressed being the only ones countering the oppression, right? Right. People need allies. They need the people who are doing the oppressing to stand up and say, no, 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 wait a minute. And, you know, that's all it is. It's just me sticking up for my friends. Except I can do it, you know, I've got a platform to do it, so why not? I Honestly, it sounds like nothing the way you say it, but man, that just really hits and it just, it makes me feel, gr I mean, and I mean that, man, because like I said, you Thank don't you, have man. to do it. And I, I wouldn't begrudge you if you didn't, because I always felt like, you know, like it's a little bit different over here and I always feel like it's our fight and I've been there before. Like I've got, I've got a couple years on you. So I've seen, you know, how it works out in the end. You know, I mean, people say, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, Colin, now he's just doing it to get attention. I go, yeah, because when's it ever worked out for us? You know, you, you, yeah. The history of our country so for yeah. you to do that man i just i i, I give you I, so much props the other thing is as well you know i it's not that long ago that we were in the same camp as you there's still the stories about the signs in london whenever you were trying to rent an apartment in london in the 60s and the sign in the window would say no blacks no irish no dogs Wow, now, that's not that long ago. Are you so, serious? Yes. Now, okay, so it's now, not that long ago that we were in the same camp. Now help me out on that, because I'll 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 be the first person. I am ignorant on that on that aspect of it, because we didn't learn about what what you guys went through. You know, being most Irish. Most people here don't trust me. So most people in the UK don't know the full story. It, it's long and it's complicated, uh, but we we've kind of been. Obviously, the Irish in England have been much less oppressed than, uh, than than people of color in America, but it's kind of been a similar structure where the Irish were kind of the cheap labor that were imported to England to build the railroads and to build the street, the highways, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we were the you know who they shipped in to do all the the grunt work that no one else wanted to do. Wow! So you were basically like the slaves. Is, yeah, I'm not going to say that because it was nowhere near that bad. Like it wasn't that bad, okay. but there there are similarities. There are similarities. Wow. So basically, instead of going to Africa, they go, "Hey, let's just go to Ireland and get these guys." Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And and there is there is more of a relationship to the the slavery movement whenever you look outside of Ireland, outside of the UK, because uh, for a long time, uh, the punishment for pretty much every crime in Ireland was transportation, which is when they put you in a boat and shipped you to Australia. Wow. As slave labor. 
Wow. And that's why there's so many Irish in Australia, because because they were used to slave labor over there. My good. I, I love getting this. I'm getting a history lesson right now from you. And I mean it from the bottom. <laughs> of my, that's why I love this. I love learning things that I don't already know. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So that's why oh, we that sim- to have that. So that's why it, we have kind of a similar kind of you can understand. You can understand our plight. Yeah. yeah. And then growing up, growing up, so uh, I grew up in a Catholic family in Northern Ireland during the what we called the Troubles, the, the, the whole civil insurrection, civil war, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, and that all grew out of a civil rights movement that started in the 60s and was really closely linked to the American civil rights movement. Wow. There was a huge amount of, of like even people visiting each other and idea sharing and all the way through the 60s there. That and then it, it kind of led in two different directions where in Northern Ireland, it, it all devolved into a huge amount of violence. And in America, it, it led to the law changing a little bit and things getting better. And then eventually Northern Ireland followed suit. And, but yeah, that's all related as well. So there's, yeah, there's similarities. My goodness, man, that is beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I really do. So you, yeah, you, so you kind of know. You can't. Oh my I, gosh, you're teaching me. I missed it. I missed it because I'm of the generation that kind of came afterwards, but I've, I'm only one generation removed from it, you know? Well, I like to think I missed it, but, you know, it's coming back around. So it's, yeah, it's, it's starting to feel that I mean, I thought yeah. I missed the, the, the civil rights movement, but basically we're doing the same thing. We're repeating ourselves. Uh, you're kind of, yeah, some of the voter repression stuff is looking pretty, pretty 1960s at this point, <laughs> I'll be honest, just as an outsider looking in, but, you know. Well, instead of German Shepherd dogs, they're using dogs that are like vegan dogs now. Like, you know, we're not going to buy him because he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's meat and we don't eat meat. But we're Vicious gonna, licking. Yeah, we're getting, I'll give him a nice growl and scare him. And if not, we're going to call the police because we're not going to. Yeah. Rough, rough. Oh, rough, rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I think that's beautiful, like I said, and what you do. So, and so, you know, I just want to touch on that briefly. But, you know, the reason we're here is because of our love for the sport and i know you grew up and i think it's beautiful that your uncle was the manager for for joey dunlap for joey's brother for robert, robert for the, Dun- the I'm second sorry, robert dunlap brother <clears throat> no no people, yes so, so for people like my my producer who's 19 years old and this guy knows nothing about motor when i started when i started this podcast i started, started talking about uh motorcycles moto gp he goes what's that he didn't know what it was and I'm like, what? And so gradually, every week I have somebody in motorcycle, and I've showed him film clips, and now he's getting to the point. He's like, wow. So Joey Dunlap <laughs> for this guy, Robert Dunlap for this guy is that's they, they race on highways. Like, can you imagine on 465 or the way down to I don't know uh, Fort Wayne. It's a, it's a race, and they and they race the streets. Wyatt is what they do. They really race the streets, and that's what they do over in Ireland. And I, I know you were introduced. I think your said your fondest memory was the Northwest 200. Yeah, when I was like four years old, it's pretty much my first memory. Now, it, it, growing up around racing, and for some people, I mean, I personally, I never could understand how people could watch motorcycle racing or have a motorcycle and not have that love, like just implanted, and you, it's not part of your life. So, how did you go from that to, to watch it and going, okay, instead of going, okay, that's cool, I'm gonna go into this, to going, you know what, this is it right here, this is my love, and it's gonna stay where it is. Uh. I, I kind of, so I, from a very young age, I grew up in it. I was always involved in it. I always had family involved in it. And then I always had friends involved in it. And then uh, at school, I started, I picked up a camera. I started taking pictures. I started getting quite into photography. And then obviously I needed something to photograph. What's better to photograph than motorbikes doing, you know, 160 miles an hour down a little Irish country lane. 
so I started going racing with my cousin and his friend who was racing in the junior leagues. Uh, he started riding for a team that then hired this English guy that no one in Ireland had ever really heard of called Guy Martin, oh. who came under the team. So I spent like two summers traveling around Ireland in an RV with Guy Martin and his best mate when I was 15 years old. Oh my. And then from there, it's just, you know, I've just always had friends in it. It's, it's, always, it's always just been the thing to do because it's where everyone that I know and love are, basically. You know, I... And, and, that was one of the greatest books I ever read was Guy Martin's autobiography. That was one of the greatest books I've ever read. I mean, from the the first, from the opening, he's talking about how he slid out at, at, at Isle of Man at about 160 yeah. miles an hour. Of course, and, yeah, it opens in the, yeah. And the bike exploded and he's headed for like a, a like a, 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 like a lamppost or whatever. And he's thinking, well, yep. whatever will be, will be. And I, and I've, and I was hooked after that. And I wanted to ask you, being so close to things like that, to road race, and we know the dangers of road racing. You've been there. You've seen it. How do you process that at that age and, and still love the sport and still realize the dangers, but you, you know, you caught, how do you compartmentalize that? It, it, it was easier for me at that age than it is now, actually. Okay. Um, cause back then it was kind of, it was always, it was a part of it. You know, you kind of, I think I wasn't really old enough to know any better. Um, I, it was, you know, don't get me wrong. It was tough. Um, I lost, uh, I lost like three very close friends in, in this period of four years, whenever I was like 19, 17, 18, 19. So it's tough, but, um, yeah, I kind of, it was just like, it was part of what, happened and you just raced on and it wasn't really an issue and then I kind of stepped away a little bit from it to come to MotoGP <clears throat> and that's kind of that's the part where I've now struggled a little more looking in as someone that isn't really in that bubble as much anymore that's kind of looking in from the outside I kind of struggle with some of it some of the danger and it's not even it's not even the danger that I struggle with now so much as it's, I see how much things are moving forward in MotoGP to improve safety everywhere possible. And then I look at back home at race series and they're so far behind, you know, they're, they're, it's like 10 years ago, they were 10 years behind MotoGP and now they're 15 years behind MotoGP, if that makes sense. No, Everyone else has moved forward 10 and they've only moved five and that's difficult to, to process. The only way I try to process it is that they're doing what they want to do. And, you know, and it's the old cliche line of, hey, they went out doing what they love doing. And no matter what you say, and they know the dangers, and, and that's all cliche, but in a way it's kind of true. And as sad as it is, and I don't, like I said, I'm just, you know, I've always said I'm on the outside looking in, and I'm always going to be that way. I mean, and I think, is everything okay? Oh, I, thought, I, thought, about, sorry. I thought you got arrested <laughs> by the cops again. I thought they were. I thought they were okay. dragging you out the van. Nah, I'm in Andorra. There's no crime here. <laughs> I thought you. Were, I thought the French police came to get you again. <laughs> After you, but no. But I think it's uh, it's it's easy. I mean, it's easy. it's harder for me. I mean, to say that from it's easy for me to say that from from where I'm at. Where when you're in it though, I would think like, hey, you know what? I miss this person, but. No matter what we would have said, he would have done this anyway, or they, or they would have done it anyway. Because there's women at race also. Yeah, that that is part of it. Um, that is part of how I still reconcile it these days. A lot of the guys that I know who race road racing, 
would have killed themselves long ago riding normal road bikes. Right. You know, they would have done something equally as stupid, uh, but they would have done it on a public road where they could have hurt someone else, where there isn't medics, where there isn't the support. And yeah, that's, you know, it, 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 it definitely helps some people to be safer doing stupid things. Right. Okay. Now, now, you think you think uh, road racing, uh, especially like the you know the every year it's always the same thing. You know, is it time for the uh, the the TT to be banned? It's time for yeah. the, to disband the Isle, Isle of Man TT. What do you think? What's your, what, what's your attitude on that? It it's there's it can never be too safe, but they've made big steps forward in making it safer. They are getting there slowly, and like you say, it's what people want to do. Why ban what people want to do? But how do you and and how do they, you, they would go and do it anyway? Yeah, how do you make that safe? I mean, safer when you race on a on a city street and the, and and seeing a guy go over the cliff. Oh, for, for for me, the the big thing you can do at the TT is education. So it's a it's like the circuit is unique. It's it's thirty seven miles long. There's nowhere else like that. And what they've the largest thing they've done to make it safer in recent years is make sure that every guy who goes there can can ride a lap of the track with their eyes closed. And it's that level of preparation before you even are allowed to race there. That's what's making it safer more than anything else. Wow, are you serious? I've I've literally seen TT racers. Uh, I've saw John McGuinness, who's like the second most successful rider of all time. Yes. And one night with a few beers on board in an Irish bar in Hong Kong, sitting on a bar stool and racing a lap of the TT with his eyes closed, making the engine noises. Wow, man! See, that's all my goodness. Like, you you go, you know, you you go to the TT, and I drive. I I know the track well because i've worked there as a photographer for 10 years so i know the course pretty well for someone that's never raced it but then you drive around it with john and it's like it's minuscule level of detail like you'll go around a corner and i'll know that the racing line is like you want to be you know like two or three foot from the white line in the center of the road to make the corner right john will tell you you need to be really careful because on the way out, there's a there's a manhole cover that's like two inches by two inches. And if it's been a little bit wet, that'll be slippery. So you need to make sure that you're just a couple of inches to the right of it to miss it. Wow. And it's like, how do you know that amount of detail for 40 miles? Oh my goodness. But that's, that's why he's where he's at. But that's know? why he's, yeah, that's why he's there. That's a, okay. Now, why is it that, why those guys, why don't they race like GP? I mean, or I mean, I, I know they've done a little bit. And Guy Martin's done a little bit, but why don't they yeah. make that leap over to like MotoGP or or, or, or even World Superbike or BSD? I, I genuinely think it's it's a different skill set. I think that's a large part of it. It's like you know we're 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 comparing motocross to Dakar. True. It's that level of different skill set. Um, you know, you look at John McGuinness; he is not a small guy. Yeah, you know, John is. Uh, I'm sure John is over 200 pounds. He carries quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of weight. But you look, and then you look at you look at Mark Marquez, and he's like what, 120, 130 pounds, something like that. that. And and the difference is that John needs that weight to physically muscle the bike. You want to be able to put all that weight through the pegs to keep the front wheel in the ground over a jump, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's different physically, it's different mentally. Yeah, I think that's why we have seen it before, but not 
kind of as the two have got faster and faster, the right. people who can do both well have become slimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I think Danny both, Webb. Both. Danny Webb's been able to do it though, hadn't he? Danny Webb made the jump. Yeah, yes, and I do wonder how because Danny is not a big guy, but he's done quite well at it. Yeah. Um. So maybe maybe the other thing is that we're not counting is that uh, there's a lot more money in MotoGP, and the very very best guys are all in MotoGP because that's where the money is. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe anyone from MotoGP could turn up to the TT Learn the Coast and smoke them. You think, do you, no, but do you think so? You think they could? I mean, you think I they think, can? I think some of them could. I think some of them could. Because I found If you it, were to take, go ahead, no, if go you ahead, were to take one guy from MotoGP, if you told me pick a MotoGP rider and make him, Maverick Vinales has just rode past his trials bike. Are you serious? <laughs> uh, if you could take one guy from MotoGP and make him a TT racer, it'd be Cal Crutchlow. Because he's lived in the Isle of Man, he yeah. knows the course, he's a physical rider, he's got the right mental strength for it. So, yeah, Cal could go there and, and win, but not everybody could do that. Because I find it amazing that Mark Marquez said, those guys are crazy. I mean, what they're doing. I, and I thought that was funny that he said that. that Mark Marquez said that. I thought that was amazing that he said that about TT riders. I'll tell you a funny story that just that, that kind of makes my point about mentality, actually. A few years ago, uh, I was there working and they, they organized like a parade lap for four of the top guys from World Superbikes. Mm -hmm. So they took Jonathan Ray, who lives in the Isle of Man. They took Tom Sykes, Chaz Davies and Sylvain Gantoli. And they went out and they rode uh, a lap at quite a high speed because they, they were following a guy so that they knew how fast they could go. They came back in. Jonathan was like, oh, it's really cool to ride around here because I cycle it. Chaz and, and uh, Tom were like, that was amazing. I'm really glad I got to do that. Sylvan looked like he had seen Jesus. <laughs> Sylvan was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. And his wife is standing behind me like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're not allowed to come near this. You know? And it's just, it's a mentality thing. It just, for him, it was just a religious experience. And he, he wanted more of it. I love that. I <laughs> I, got this, I can only imagine Sylvan doing that. I, I was Sylvan's weird, like half English, half French accent. You could just imagine him describing it. Oh my it was God, glorious. That, I, I wish I'd been recording it. <laughs> Man, I wanted you. You should have yelled out the window to Maverick and tell him I said, Maverick, and I was going to get that, but might as well get to it now. It's like, he is that guy it, right now. He's got to be the most frustrating figure in MotoGP because you have another yeah. certain rider that. Everybody almost agrees that he's like out there. I mean, like, and you know the writer <laughs> I'm talking about. He's with, yeah. yeah. But Maverick is the case because Maverick is like, how how do you describe what Maverick's going through now? Because I love for some reason I'm a Maverick apologist. I will I will go I will go <laughs> to my grave always apologize for Maverick. And I always say the second best GP race I've ever seen in my life was in Valencia for the for the Moto Three title. Him. Uh, 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 Louis Salam and, and, and Alex Rins yeah, have, yeah, yeah. winner take all right. and the last lap and the last turn what he did to Alex Rins it still gets goose pimples on my arm <laughs> I mean honestly that was the greatest race I've ever seen other than Barcelona 2009 and what he did okay. was unbelievable. And okay. because the backstory to that Just was when, just... remember he acted out in Japan and he was yeah, home. Yeah, went home. And yeah, they yeah. said, hey, uh, uh, you know, we got lawyers. And he goes, I'll be back. And, so he came back. <laughs> and then he won the title. And that's when you he know he was kind of a, uh, so how would you describe when, Maverick? When things are going right for him, he is unstoppable. 
but it takes very little to dent his confidence and make things go bad. And I think he doesn't, it's almost like sometimes he doesn't understand why things happen to him. He doesn't have the ability to like process bad decisions or process bad events. And he kind of overthinks them and doesn't have the ability to put them out of his mind. Like, like, uh, so in Mizano, Paco Bagnaia was leading the race yes. by a mile. He crashed. He said, oh, I think the front wheel of the bike touched someone else's uh, torn off visor tear off right. and it, it lost traction. You speak to every mechanic in the paddock and they will say, complete bull. There is no way that a tear off is going to affect the front traction of a bike, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But in Paco's head, that's what happened. So it doesn't matter that, that he didn't make a mistake. The bike was perfect. The track was perfect. He had a tear off. It's fine. And he just like put that in a box and moved on. Whereas Maverick overthinks things. Really? He doesn't have the same ability. For me anyway, th- this is me paying like amateur psychologist on the outside watching <laughs> motorbike riders. Uh, but that's part of my job, right? I'm a journalist, so I can get away with doing stuff like that. Uh, but But for me, that's kind of, that that's where Maverick is. It's just it's not a weakness because there are definitely certain times that it's a benefit to him, but it's just it's something that he needs to learn to overcome a little bit. I think. I, you know, his head was right when he he got he got the a crew with him that he wanted. He got yeah. um, when he was getting the, the the side ready. He got uh, out with the old, in with the new, <coughs> so to speak. And he yeah. had everybody in his corner, and he seemed happy. He seen everything was going, and even this, even last week at Barcelona, he was killing it in FP one, FP two, FP, and for some reason qualifying. Like, okay, what happened? But still, he was on the second row. Yeah, and then start comes. How do you go from starting fifth? I believe it was fifth, and he goes to sixteenth in the first lap. He literally moonwalked. He moonwalked back to. I was like, what are you doing? It was like time. It was like it was like a time where he was going this way, and everybody was going yeah. this way, and they were passing him on the front. I'm like, "What are you doing?" Have you seen Have you seen the little uh, the little graphics that we make for the race? Yes, we, we've started making like little eight bit animations of MotoGP races. I just watch it back and watch Maverick. It's like because he just literally goes whoop and then spends the rest of the race going ba 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 again, and you're like, "Man, if you could fix your first lap, all your problems would be solved." And but here's what did it for me is like okay maybe there's something wrong with the bike and the interview when he goes we just couldn't pass anybody and I was like what what are you talking about? I mean it's like you said Franco really didn't have a problem um, <clears throat> Fabio yeah. was in traffic and he came up he passed I forget who else I knew he had passed Rossi and then Fabio didn't have a problem with it Rossi yeah. didn't have a problem until he cracked. So what was your problem? I mean, that's what I want to say because I love it. I don't know why, but I've, I've loved him ever since he had the arrow helmet with the wolf. I go, I like this kid for some reason. Yeah. This kid's going to be a monster. And I just, I, I can't, and everybody was saying this about Maverick. I go, you don't talk about Maverick like that. I'm like a kid who, you know, people talk <laughs> about your hero. You go, don't you talk about Maverick. And, and I'm, I'm like, Gary, come on. What you talking about, man? Don't talk about Maverick like that. And now I'm like, you know what? I, 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 I have nothing for him. I have nothing. I, I can't. I can't, and and he's only less than twenty, I believe, but twenty one points from yeah. having the lead. From Fabio, he yeah, could be the yeah, champion. Yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's almost like, it's almost like someday he's just going to realize, oh, that's what I've been doing wrong all these years, and then he will be champion. Just you know, it'll just happen. 
because that's you know that's that's the weird <laughs> world of MotoGP, right? No, I think that's all it of, takes is oh, that's what I've been doing wrong. Yeah. Okay, and the light goes on, and he just becomes a terror. Yeah. Do you know? I genuinely thought he had it fixed over the summer, over the winter, because um, we went. So I, I, he was really amused about this. I, I used this one day to describe him, and he like caught me up on it because he had read it. Was really amused. I described him this winter as how in the past he was someone that finished testing first and was pissed off about it, and this year he became someone who finished fifteenth and was delighted about it. It's like he kind of realized that you don't win championships in testing this winter. And he wasn't going out and trying to set fast laps anymore. Oh, that's funny. And I genuinely thought he had cracked it. But it, it kind of, yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that I remember watching, like now I, I, when I watch press conferences, it's a little different, 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 different. I remember, and you got to really, really watch it. But it was, it was Mark Marquez. He was like, somebody, you know, who his rivals are going to be. And I remember going, well, some guys, you know, they're good at testing, 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 different. And I mean, it was like, I think, it, and I think that was a nod to Maverick. And looking back on it, I think it was a like a kind of a jab because Mark, and they all know yeah. a way how to, you know, of jab without do. calling out the they're name. They all playing mind games with each other. Of course they are. So and that was so it's beautiful. Huge part of it. Yeah, I was so, I mean, just the, the little bitty things they do in the press con, what they say. And he, when he said that, some people are good at, you know, at, at, at the at, at testing and it comes to race or nowhere. The, the one thing I'm missing at the minute more than anything about the press conferences is because obviously all our press conferences right now are being done via Zoom. We can't go in and, you know, do the usual where we sit in the room and watch them, which means whenever someone's answering a question, the camera's looking at them. And the most interesting thing in the press conference a lot of the time is to watch the other guys when they're answering a question about them. Yes. It's seeing what they, you know, uh, there's some guys who will like try really hard not to be listening and they'll be on their phones the whole way through or, but you miss all those like little, the little thing, the little, all those little things. Yeah. Here's yeah. what I thought. Cal Crutchlow has a habit of texting me. Really? Um, I get messages all the, yeah, yeah. If Cal's on his phone, all of a sudden my phone will vibrate and he'll be like, Ask this, ask this, go on, go on, do this. <laughs> I love it. So we ask you to ask That happens a lot. Oh, that's no, great. I, sometimes, sometimes to him, sometimes to some of the other guys, if he thinks that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's why you love Cal. That's why I love exactly. that guy. It's little things exactly. like that that make you love it. I want him always to stay in GP for reasons like that. And I'll tell you one other thing, which I thought was funny, was, man, when Zarco called you, when Zarco goes, hey, where are you? <laughs> when he goes, when Zarco goes, hey, where you at? <laughs> he said, in my van. And you were trying to be serious. And Zarco just starts laughing. And then, and then Franco's like, Morbidelli's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Simon's living in his van. No, he was telling me about it last week. And they have this whole conversation. Apparently, what you can't see in camera is that the Dorna staff in the room were like, shut up, shut up. Go back to the press conference. Go back to the... They were really not happy. <laughs> that was, man, honestly, oh, I thought that man. was hilarious. How Zarko just and called then, you out. Because he was, he was like a three-year-old kid. Like, hey, what are you doing? It's like when you walk in with your parents having sex. Hey, daddy, what are you doing to mommy? <laughs> What are you doing to mommy, daddy? <laughs> are you guys playing horses? Then, uh, <laughs> a few weeks later, I went and visited him. I went and spent the day with him yes. at home. So he has not actually been in the van. <laughs> He's had the photo. tour. <laughs> I love it. I read that in it. I read that article. I love it. I, 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 I'm wrong. I think Zarko's so... In a way, he's like the enigma. In a way, he's... he's I think he's misunderstood, kind of like uh, Lorenzo was. I always thought yeah, Lorenzo was misunderstood. And I think, and I feel the same way about Zarko. I think Zarko was misunderstood. 
And I thought, you know, KTM, that whole situation at KTM, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, it didn't work, obviously. But that being on camera, I think it was in Le Mans when he screamed at his people. Yeah. And they caught yeah. it. And that made it look so much worse. And yeah. I think they were all talking bad about Zarko. And I was like, this guy is a good dude. It's just sometimes, you know, that perception, you know, it, yes. it, it, it yeah, yeah. What, what you see on screen is not the real guy. Him at after parties, he's hilarious. I've seen him. Exactly. I've seen him at the parties, and he had he had a jacket on, like like a sport coat and shades, and he was just and it was the funniest. Thing. He looked like a seventies detective, and it was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And I'm Brad Bender was he was laughing at him, and everybody was and Zarko looked it seemed like he was just having the greatest time of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you know the story about him and Brad and the song? No, tell me. So so Zarko's Zarko's he's. I'm not going to say hugely musically talented, but he's quite good. He can play the piano. He can play the guitar. He likes to sing. He's a huge Beatles fan. Really? Huge Beatles fan. Okay. And when, when Brad Binder won the Moto3 championship, they were teammates because they were both riding for IO. Zarko was in Moto2. That's right. Yes. There is, there is a version of Obladi by the Beatles with new lyrics to celebrate Brad Binder's championship win. No. And, and that Zarko wrote and performed. And if you go back, I'll tell you what, go back to watch the press conference from Bruno from this year. Okay. Whenever Brad won the race and Zarko was in the podium with him, someone asked him about it and he sang the song in the press conference I, again. I remember that. Because I was like, yeah, yeah. well, that's, I remember that's what happened. I, I got to go back and watch that. That's hilarious. <laughs> and that's the kind of guy he actually is. But people don't see that. You know, people don't see the, the, I'm not going to say he's a normal guy because I think he is definitely a bit unusual. But in, in, so what, way, in what way unusual? Like in what way? He, it's almost like, uh, I think he struggles a little bit socially. Uh, as in, in what way? It, maybe not. Maybe not. Struggles not the right word. It's like he's very much his own person, and he doesn't really give two craps what anyone else thinks of him. So he, he just does what shit. he wants to do. Yeah. So he just does what he wants. I thought the same way about Lorenzo. You know, I thought... Yeah, Jorge's exactly like that. I thought he was the same way, and I thought he was funny. The thing about... The only thing about Jorge was, I mean, coming from being a, stand, a stand-up, is like, he didn't know how to let the joke lie, and okay, and let's move on. Like, he always tried yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you know, like, okay, Jorge, that's enough. You know what I mean? So I always felt yeah. that, but I felt Jorge was a great dude. I really always liked him. Yeah. You know, he always he talked to me at the parties. He always came out of his way to talk to me, and I thought he was a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, and it's still, he's still like that. He, in fact, he's even more like that now that he's retired. How great. Um, he's, like, regularly messaging me and just, and, and not about racing, about, like, the most insane stuff. So he started, like, a, a weight loss challenge during the lockdown over here, and I ended up getting quite involved in it because I was doing loads of running at the time. And, like, last week... Um, I was in Mizano. I posted a picture one afternoon on my Instagram story of me eating a salad with the uh, pit lane beside me. The next day, I post a picture of my breakfast, which is like some scrambled eggs and bacon. And I get a message from Jorge being like, this one good, this one bad. <laughs> Thanks, nutritionist. I love that. How, I, that's beautiful, man. Did, did you have some time have to pinch yourself to self to self to self? Wow, this, I mean... You know, because, I mean, yeah. they're your heroes, and all of a sudden now it's like they're texting you like your buddies, which you are, to make you go, well, I'm living a good life. Because, I, you know, I, people don't know the travel, and they think, 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 they
okay, where am I now? You know, could you, you know, okay, what hotel is this? And I know yeah. that feeling, but man, yeah. but when you get stuff like that, does it make you just go, okay, yeah, this is cool. It, the, the one that's still more than anything else, um, and I know it's a stereotype, but you see whenever, like, whenever you get one of those like little cool moments of Antonio Rossi, that's still, because he's been around for so long. Yes. That when I was a kid, I was a Valentino Rossi fan. Right. In like 2002, 2003. And then you like, you find yourself in a, an airport and you're sitting in the lounge in the airport and he sits down beside you and he's just like, hey, Simon, how are you today? And you're like, oh, like, this is so cool. Oh, <laughs> how has this happened to me? That's great. You know? I mean, that's, is, that, is yeah. that when you realize this is a great life? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's always, I've got this theory that there are times when it can be just absolutely terrible, but there's always, every time it gets really, really bad, there's like a little pick me up. Now, now, and it just makes now when, does it, when does it get terrible though? Like, when, when, like, tell me a terrible time. So, so a perfect, perfect example of this, um, of both sides of it. Uh, 2018. So the end of the 2018 season, I did uh, a race in the race in Thailand. Mm-hmm. I had one week off, which I spent in Thailand. And then we did three races in Australia, Malaysia, Japan. When I was in Japan, I got so ill, I almost ended up in hospital. I think I, I then came back from Japan. I was home for one weekend. And then I went to Valencia for the last round. Uh, we had like a horrible race weekend. Do you remember how wet it was? Kanonku won the race, the Moto3 race. Yes, I was there. Freaky. I was there. Right. So we did that race weekend. Then one day off, three days of testing at Valencia. Then I got a train from Valencia to Jerez. And I did 10 consecutive days of testing at oh. Jerez from Moto E, Moto2, Moto3, Moto GP, British Superbikes, and World Superbikes. Oh my God. And at the end of it, I was like, I just, yeah, exactly. And then on the last day of the MotoGP test, which was like three days before I was supposed to come home from Harath proper and finally get some downtime, uh, the Yamaha press officer came to find me in the media center and was like, Simon, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, I'm going home to sleep for 48 hours. And he was like, mm, we're inviting like four journalists to Valentino's ranch this weekend. Do you want to come? And I was like, yes. Oh. <laughs> and then that's, that's what I mean about even when it's terrible, there's that little moment and you're just like, yes, I love oh my, my job. <laughs> and you forget the how shit the last like 10 weeks have been because you have this like awesome weekend where you're just chilling at Rossi's place. Did you, did you ride? Did you ride? I didn't ride. I didn't ride. Cause it was for the hundred kilometers race. The yes. like end of season right. endurance race they do. But like there was, there was literally like four journalists there. Um, the media center, media center was just the, the like big living room, sitting room area in the ranch. You're like sitting, you know, like lunch is served in like giant plastic buckets and it's just pa- like nice pasta and you're sitting little in your plastic, your pasta out of the plastic button onto your paper plate and Valentino's in the queue next to you waiting for the ladle when you're finished. Oh and it's just God. like, this is like not real. This isn't real life. Oh I don't my, know honestly, is, I I, I, I'd have been kicked out. I'd have been kicked out because I'm, I'm annoying anyway. And they would have been like, okay, he's got to go. They, they, seriously, you would never would have heard from me again if they would have done that. First of all, they wouldn't have invited me because they know me. But yeah, yeah, I've never. Heard of it. I, <laughs> they I also, know. they also, 
they also made the mistake the night before of putting us poor journalists up in quite a nice hotel not that far away from Rossi's place and telling us to just go and have dinner in the hotel restaurant and we spent a lot of Valentino's money on the bar <laughs> could he cover it could he cover it he... yeah I think he's probably good for it <laughs> oh my it's like God. you know there's four of us and it's suddenly it's like guys it's 2am and we've drank eight bottles of wine and two bottles of limoncello and we've got a race in the morning <laughs> you know what it's like in Italy when you go for a nice dinner they just keep bringing the wine and then there's the limoncello and the, yeah Oh my good night. That's a great that's a and that's when you go, this life is great I'm living. This life is great that I'm living. Exactly. Exactly. And part of part of the reason that I've made the change I've made this year to the van was to try and get a little bit more of that. And it's worked. It's it's been really successful for me, which is great. Uh, because now I get to go, I don't have to do the whole airport thing, the hotel thing, the waking up in a new bed every night. And uh, you know, like between races, instead of going home and spending a few days at home working and getting on a flight, coming out again, I just go and hang out at a friend's house. Oh, great. Man, you live living like, life, brother. I and spent, you're making I spent pizza. Last night on, I saw you yeah, make I that spent pizza. last night on the side of a mountain making pizza with John McPhee. Can, can, can John McPhee even eat that pizza? I mean, he's got to make weight. Yeah, he's fine. He's allowed to treat now and then. It was healthy though, right? We made healthy pizzas, so it's all good. <laughs> that pizza looks so good. Honestly, I want to jump it through that screen strange. on Instagram and eat that pizza. It looks so good. It Man, looks the next time you're in the paddock, we'll do pizzas. Because the pizza oven now. is in the back of the van. Oh, you say that now. Someone next give time, me a pizza oven for the van, so we'll do it. We'll make it work. Or, or we're going to make it work because you just invited me. <laughs> and you know, yep. and that's why. That's how I'm in the position I am today, because somebody invited me to a MotoGP race, as you can see, in 2006, and as you you can see what happened. I mean, it, they invited me, and if you invite me to something, and it, it's done, man, it's a done deal. I will take you up Perfect. on your offer. We will make it happen. Oh, yeah. next time you're in Europe, we will make it happen. I, I might come over <laughs> next week. You never, you never know. That's hey, no, no fine. I, I know you're not allowed. I know you're not allowed. There's rules about this now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rules are made to be broken. I can trust me. If you know I can sneak in, I can sneak in. Trust me. I'll go the African route. I'll just come. I'll come up the, I'll, I'll come up. An American man was arrested I'll kayaking into the United Kingdom. I'll just tell him, I'll just tell him I'm Idris Elvis. That's all this Elvis. Yeah, 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 you're fine. Yeah, 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 you get away with that. No problem. <laughs> I'm the broke Idris Elvis. <laughs> but listen, okay, of all the interviews, you've been to Paddock since 2015. You've interviewed, like I said, Rossi, all the greats. Who's the one guy that surprised you in the interview where you left and you were like, Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Well, you were kind of awed, like, wow, mm. I really wasn't expecting that. Hmm, that's a good question. Actually, no, um, so I did uh, this year, which, oh man, it seems like so long ago. Back in February at testing, I did like the, the first real sit-down interview with someone that, that Jorge did after he retired. And I kind of went into it thinking... I don't know how much he's going to be willing to say about certain things. Mm -hmm. And he just opened up and gave me like this really emotional interview about all of the hardships he'd been through over the past year with Honda and about what had led to the decision. He was far more open and honest than I ever expected to be completely honest. Wow. And that, that was quite nice. I like, like, there's a nice feeling about knowing that you can build enough of an emotional connection with these guys that they feel comfortable talking to you about things like that. That's cool, man. That's great. 
So now, and now you guys are texting each other what not to eat. He's like your nutritionist yeah. now. How great yeah. is that? Right? <laughs> okay. Is there a writer that you've pissed off during an interview you could tell you pissed off? Oh, yeah. Um, it happens all the time. Um, you? No. <laughs> me? No. Never. 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 Um, there's some that I, I kind of, I know I can get away with doing it to Crutchlow because he's, well, he's not, it's not so much that Cal's a good friend of mine, but Cal's wife, Lucy, is a very good friend of mine. Yes. So it's yes. like, I know I can get away with pissing off Cal in interviews because Lucy will kick him back into line. Um, I've asked Valentino a few things sometimes that he's not been, like, you can tell he's not very happy about, but he's enough of a professional to know that that's the job and, and you just accept it. Like what was but Sometimes what was we it? have to ask. Uh, just like, I've, I've like, I've, I've asked him questions about the relationship with Mark Marquez about like, you know, should you not really just not, just not, you know, like you're, you're a grown adult here. He's a grown adult. Let, let's just like, you know, not act like children. <laughs> Um, it frizzed slightly better frizzed slightly better but you know wow. um, I think the last person I pissed off in an interview with was uh, Paul Espigaro really? Uh, yeah because I, I kind of said um, you're blaming Zarko for knocking you off for Bruno and literally everyone else in the paddock says that it was a rising incident you shouldn't be blaming Zarko and like do you think it's possible that you're just blaming him because you fucked up and that didn't get out very well. Oh, what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? He was like, I have seen the data and I am fairly sure that I was not in the wrong. Next question. Whoa! <laughs> Damn! You pissed off the, off the, off the, off the name for him, the handsome bastard. That's what he is. Oh my God. But you have but to go okay, cause, cause he Exactly. And he's a professional. So I know that we can, you know, get over it's it. fine. It's fine. Literally. Um, so I, I can just see in the distance um his mountain biking shop because he has a downhill mountain bike store in andorra wow uh, and i was in like seeing the guys just before i came in to do this and we've been chatting you know every time i go around there they, they like sort us out look after us because they know that we know paul and everything so it's cool you know we, we've still got that like friendly professional relationship it's all good <laughs> they know that it's sometimes our job dude i love that i my i could man we could do a whole other podcast and just the stories of gp i'm no amount of time oh I know for sure buddies. but i i mean i just <laughs> love those you know what i found out from you that fabio loves french rap and that was great because i remember that when you were working for patronus yeah. that little stint you had patron you go yeah, yeah. listen to french rap before he before he before he goes out i used to share like an office wall with him you know the office the walls in the truck aren't very thick right and they'd be like a, a very thin divider and i was sitting on one side of it and his his little changing room was on the other and he like karaoke sessions to to french rap before the start of every session and like before the start of every session like it's fp2 on a friday afternoon and he's getting himself psyched up with <laughs> i love that <laughs> it makes me laugh so much that is Oh my God, man, we didn't even scratch the surface. Oh, we, I, we gotta do this again, my brother. I for mean, sure, man, for sure. Oh my God, I mean, I knew, like I said, trust, I knew it was gonna be cool. I knew, like I knew you and I knew it was gonna be cool. And I I came in knowing it was gonna be cool. It's even cooler, la, la, la. <laughs> Well, that, that's high praise, man. That's no, praise. it really is, man. Like, and, I, and I mean all the things I said about you and everything that you stood for, which I thought was great. Well, thank you, before man. I got here, I got. Uh, I, I did pose these uh, questions to my fans. I said, "What question you want me to ask, um, Simon?" And one person said, um, "What do you think about the current lineup of commentators on the World Feed of MotoGP?" So the World Feed commentators are very good friends of mine. Um, 
very, very good friends with Matt Burt did my job at Motorcycle News before me. Uh, Steve Day is a really good friend of mine. Matt is, I think Matt is, amount of knowledge Matt has in his brain is just incredible. There is no one else out there that's got the knowledge he has. Steve is an amazing color commentator. He's so passionate about it. That's his job to be passionate. And he's an ex-racer. So he's got all that knowledge of being an ex-racer. And Simon Crayfire is just the perfect pit lane reporter. There is no one, you know, he's a 500 Grand Prix winner. He's worked as a MotoGP suspension technician. He runs a rider coaching school. He can see things from five seconds of someone riding past him that I couldn't see from, uh, you know, hours of watching them. I, I feel the same way about Simon because that was a very difficult situation he had coming in after Dylan because Dylan Gray was so good. And, and yeah. it took him a while. And I remember him saying, you know, he didn't like it at first, but now you can tell he's, he's comfortable where he is. It's also worth, also worth noting that Dylan was a journalist who became a pit lane reporter, whereas Simon was a racer with no journalist experience at all. He just got thrown into the deep end with a microphone and told to go do things. And it took him a long time to kind of find his flow. But now that he's found that, you know, and, and you know, you talk about me asking hard questions. Nah, there is no one can ask a tough question in MotoGP like Simon Crafer. But, but he has get away respect, with it. though. He has that respect. Yeah, exactly. 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 That, that automatically, okay, this guy raced. He knows what it's about. Exactly. And exactly. This was one from your friend that goes, in your travels this year, have you had any nicer pies than the ones you get in Australia? <laughs> And tell him <laughs> Debbie Inns is asking for a friend. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Like, so Australian meat pies yeah. are incredible. And they do the best ones in the little cafe in Phillip Island. And, and like, I lived in Scotland for six years. I know what a good meat pie is. But, oh, yeah, it, you know, this is, this is fucking COVID, right? This is the things we're missing out on. We're not missing out on amazing races at Phillip Island. We're missing out on amazing pies at Phillip Island. I and beer and you know, terrible rounds of golf and all the crazy stuff we do would work. I could tell by the way you said, oh, I mean, that is a passion. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, the way you said, oh, that I knew you mentally, 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 mentally there and went, oh, and that's how I know that's a good pie. I think it's fairly obvious I'm a guy who likes my food, right? I was not going to say that. I mean, I was not going to say that. I mean, I posted your picture on my feed, and there all the girls are like, oh, my God, who is this guy? So it's going to be me, you, pizza, <laughs> and girls in that van. It's gonna Sounds be good. It's like the 70s again. Get an eight track player. I'll get my dad. We'll get some more eight track. You laugh, but there is literally, I've got a CB radio. There you go. We'll be BJ and the bear. We'll be BJ and the bear. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll go around Europe. And if you think you got pulled over by the French police now, you wait till I'm in the van. <laughs> wait until you're with me. Thank you so much for this. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Dude, it's been so much fun. It's been so much fun. We're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to do this again. I mean, like I said, you know, I wanted to, but I had to get, had to get, had to get, because that was when I, even before I knew you were going to be on this podcast, I said, you know what? I've got to get this guy on to tell him how much I appreciate what he did. And just that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. No, thank you very much for that. I love all the articles. I was just reading one about how you uh, have the the concussion protocols in moto, in motorsport are are a joke. Hmm. And I read about that. So you're not afraid to go there. And I love what you do. And I read the race. All, which, uh, if I watch us, the current publication he writes for, I read that. Just everything you do, I love it, partner. I can't wait to see you, man. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, man. Thank you. As soon as you get to Europe, pizzas are on me. Now, I, oh, trust me. It, it's you bring happen. the beers it's- and the girls, I'll bring the pizzas. We're all golden. <laughs> it's going to be. Oh. <laughs>
Thank you, Simon. I appreciate that from the bottom. Thank of my heart. you very much. Thank bud. you guys for watching on Tales from the Gym. That was my buddy Simon Patterson. I can't wait for you guys to see that. Thank you so much for watching. And like I say, around this time, after it's all over, bye.